For this week's service, our Sustainable Faith team led us in a Green Communion. This involved the use of three videos. To see these videos, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash oasiswaterloo. You know, a very good uh, description of Christians is one set of beggars telling the other beggars where they found the bread. And there is uh, no greater truth in that than when we think as Christians about the environment. We come to it with humility. We come to it understanding that we all fall short on the way we should live our lives. And so what's going to happen this morning is a number of people from the congregation who've got together to think about these things are going to come and present around certain topics. But if you want to be part of that and you want to join us in thinking about that and presenting at a future service, then just let us know because this is open to everybody as we try and encourage and stimulate one another to live more sustainably. We've been having this conversation going now for about three or four years in Oasis under the banner of sustainable faith. And one thing that we um, agreed to do a couple of years ago was to apply for the eco-congregation status that was run by Arosha, the Christian charity. And we gained that status about a year ago. Uh, no sooner had we done it than they changed, they moved the goalposts, they changed the rules, and they came up with a new scheme called Eco Church. And so now there is bronze, silver, and gold membership of that. And we applied and have recently been awarded uh, silver uh, status as, a, as an Eco Church, which uh, I'd hoped we'd have the plaque here this morning, but it's, it's, uh, it's not here. Apparently, there are only two churches that are in gold status, one of which is a monastery, so that's a bit of a cheat in, 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 in my view. But you, some of you might remember last summer that Ruth, Ruth Valerio, one of the, the key movers in the Arosha movement, came and, and spoke to us. Remember about her holidays off the North Wales coast? And uh, when I was asking Ruth, what are the things as a church we should think about most in terms of a sustainable lifestyle? And she said, there are four things. What you throw away, your waste, what you eat, your choices of food, how you travel, and how, how much and how you consume energy. So these are the four, and we want to keep coming back to these on a regular basis. Now, I'd like to cover all four this morning, but we haven't got the time, so we're going to go to cover three of those. We're going to look at waste, travel, and food. And Marius is going to come and talk about waste, and then Martha is going to come and talk about food, and uh, Danielle will be talking about one particular aspect of travel, and then Emma will lead us in communion. But before we do that, to set this in the proper biblical context, Jennifer's going to come up and read a very well-known passage, but we're just thinking about it again in the context of sustainability. Good morning. And I'm reading from Matthew chapter 6. From verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. Do they, 
They do not labour or spin. I've got a shadow. Hang on. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Good morning. As Mark said before, uh, we would like to show you a few videos that illustrate certain aspects of our interaction with environment. So can we play the first video, please? Today, today we purchase over 80 billion pieces of new clothing each year. That's 400% more than the amount we bought just two decades ago. The way we buy clothes has changed so much, so fast, that few people have actually stepped back to understand the origin of this new model or the consequence of such an unprecedented increase in consumption. There is um, an article in Printers Inc., uh, which is the leading advertising trade journal of, of, of its day, uh, by a very famous copywriter named Ernest Elmo Calkins, grand old man of, of uh, the art of writing advertising copy. There's an article called Consumptionism. In that article, he says there are, there are two kinds of products. Okay, there are the kind that you use, like washing machines, cars, and so on. Things that you buy and use for a long time. And then there are the things that you use up, like chewing gum and cigarettes, other perishables. He said, uh, consumptionism is all about getting people to treat the things they use as the things they use up. With their innovative buy one, get three free pricing, a suit from Joseph A. Bank is effectively cheaper than paper towels. And now they come in these easy to use dispensers. With four suits for the price of a modest dinner, I can feel good about throwing them away when I'm done. You just have to look at landfill. And you can see in landfill that the amount of clothes and textiles being chucked away has been increasing steadily over the last 10 years um, as the sort of dirty shadow of the fast fashion industry. As we get sort of closer and closer to species degradation, to uh, trashing our last remaining pristine wilderness, we seem hell-bent on producing more and more disposable stuff. It makes no sense. Fashion should never and can never be thought of as a disposable product. I think after any big change in any industry, it takes a while to sort of to feel and smell the dirt that comes out of something um, that, is, that is polluting. So I think now there is a change because 
you can't deny that the fast fashion industry is having a massive impact in developing countries. The average American throws away 82 pounds of textile waste each year, adding up to more than 11 million tons of textile waste from the U.S. alone. Most of this waste is non-biodegradable, meaning it sits in landfills for 200 years or more while releasing harmful gases into the air. Thank you. So as you can see here, uh, the amount of waste we produce is a problem, and then storing it or disposing of it is a problem. And uh, what kind of positive solution can we find for this problem as uh, decent human beings and Christians? And this is one of the proposals I want to, to show to you. I'm going to show to you a video of a charity. It's, this is a UK charity called Boot It and Suit It. And they collect clothes that other people don't need, and then they donate those clothes to people who got a job or uh, are going to an interview and cannot afford a suit. And we all know how important it is if somebody goes to an interview, they have to look sharp, they have to feel confident, you know, they have to show they care, they have to show they can comply. And sometimes that suit that somebody else would be in may change somebody else's life. So this is a UK charity, and can we play the, the second video, please? It's called Booted and Suited. This charity collects uh, men's clothes, but there is a, a similar charity collecting uh, women's clothes and donating those clothes to women who go to interviews or got a job, want to have a very nice uh, outfit to, to go there and feel confident. So I, I would encourage you, if, if you in, instead of binning clothes, if you don't need or don't want some items anymore, to find a charity and donate it, and that could be also extended to other things like mobiles, computers, and so on. I truly believe that a three-year-old mobile that a lot of people wouldn't touch anymore could be a very valuable thing for somebody else in this country or somewhere, somewhere else in the world. It doesn't have to end up in a bin and then in, in, in the landfill. So if we are just a bit more mindful we can create less waste and change other people's lives. And I would like to finish this part with a short prayer. Jesus, please open our eyes to the amount of waste we create and how we harm our environment. Please open our hearts to the needs of others and please enable us to be a blessing to find joy in sharing and giving and not in possessing. Amen. Hi. Um, I think now we're going to be watching the one about uh, food. So if we can put the video about food, please. You or someone you know is a vegetarian. So we thought we'd try a thought experiment. What would happen if everyone in the world was suddenly a vegetarian? What effect would it have on our lives and the planet? Before we begin, full disclosure, none of us at ASAP Science are vegetarians, and the worldwide rate of vegetarianism is fairly low, ranging from about 4-5% to in the US and Canada to a little over 30% in India. 
As a result, there are currently about 20 billion chickens, 1.5 billion cows, over a billion sheep, and nearly a billion pigs in the world. Without any meat-eating humans to provide a market, whole herds of domestic animals would disappear. And this would free up vast quantities of land. About 33 million square kilometers of land are used for pasture, an area about the size of Africa. And that's not even counting the land used to grow crops exclusively for animal feed. Some of it would be needed for the increased amount of vegetable crops, but much of the land currently used as pasture is actually too dry to grow crops. Without humans adding artificial nutrients, this land could turn to desert. But if properly managed, it's possible that some farmland would return to its natural state of grassland or forest, which could help counteract global climate change. After all, the loss of CO2-absorbing trees cleared for agriculture is a major reason why global levels of CO2 are going up. Cows and other grazers also affect our climate through large amounts of methane production, which has 25 times more potential planet warming power than CO2. Combined with the loss of forests and other effects, livestock production is responsible for about 15% of global greenhouse gas emissions, which is more than all the world's planes, trains, and automobiles put together. In fact, many scientists believe that reducing meat consumption may be one of the best strategies for managing climate change. A vegetarian diet would also greatly reduce water consumption. Around 70% of global freshwater consumption is used in agriculture. It takes 15,000 liters to make a kilogram of beef, 6,000 liters for pork, and 4,000 liters for chicken. Compare this with 1,600 liters for cereal crops, 900 liters for fruit, and 300 liters for garden vegetables. Of course, a kilogram of meat packs many more calories than the equivalent weight of fruit, but even if you compare the ratio of water per calorie of available food energy, beef is still five times more water-intensive than fruit, seven times more than veggies, and 20 times more than cereal. So are there any downsides to a vegetarian diet? Well, we'd be left without a cheap source for many byproducts of livestock, like leather from animal hides or animal fats, which are used in cosmetics, candles, and detergents. And while vegetable-based alternatives do exist, their production would need to increase, meaning more land dedicated to growing crops and less restored to its natural state. A more complicated fact is that raising and processing animals is a full-time job for more than one billion people, most of whom are small-scale farmers in the developing world. While some may be able to move to producing milk or eggs, or even growing vegetable crops, many would be faced with their way of life becoming obsolete. Of course, any increase in vegetarianism is likely to be a gradual process rather than a sudden cutoff, and surprisingly, the trends are actually in the opposite direction. In places like India and China, people are becoming wealthier and, as a result, consuming more meat, which effectively cancels out the declines we see in other countries. So we actually tried to go vegetarian for 21 days straight as an experiment in our new ASAP Thought episode. Check out the video if you want to see how it went, what we learned in the process, and how we felt about it both mentally and physically. And subscribe for more weekly science videos. Well, hi, my name is Marta, um, I don't know, most of you might know me. Um, my background is in food science. Um, I studied in, in Spain and after, um, with my husband, we moved in 2010 into London and I studied a master's in sustainability in the food industry. Um, so for the last five years, I've been working in, in an organic um, grocery company. Um, as most of you are, um, might have noticed, um, I'm from Spain and we love food and we love eating. Um, so, um, at, the at the end of the first part, we're going to be um, sharing the bread and wine. 
And I love the fact that Jesus uses food in so many social and spiritual events. For me, food is about balance. And now that I have children, um, one that you've noticed like playing and getting lots of instruments, um, I would like to teach them to eat different, from different sources and I want them to teach them to enjoy a range of foods. Like, like what we've seen now in the video, um, global co considerations of the impact of what we eat um, from environmental, social and, ec and economical are more and more important, but I found Believe um, in. Uh, I'm, I'm, I really believe that the macro-social impact of what we do, as they say, um, as they say, um, is an example of what Jesus sharing food and drink through the Bible too. I like. I'm just going to do a bit of me. Sorry. Um, I like to use food as an excuse to be with others and share time with people. The social aspect seems to be very important in Jesus' life too. So how can we ensure that our, our time eating involves other when possible? That might, might mean adjusting what we eat sometimes. In my case, I enjoy trying new foods and different tastes, and I think this is a privilege. Um, I think I thank God for the privilege of having the choices of eating all different types of food. We all know that we need to be more and more careful with the impact of, in the environment on what we eat, but Jesus, when he had little or lots, he always found time to celebrate. He knew how to administer the resources, and, and um, he didn't, it didn't stop him about sharing it with, with the rest. We can be sustainable, responsible, and still enjoy eating. So I would like to read Mark um, 6, um, 30 to 38, that most of you, I'm sure you've heard before. Um, so the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they have done and, and thought. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away with, by themselves in a boat to a solitary place but many who saw them living recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciple came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But, but, they, but he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of wages and we were to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat. So how many loaves do we have? He said, go and see. So I would like to pray, um, just a little pray. Thanks, um, Lord, for the privilege of food in this country and for the farmers and for the suppliers working in the food industry. Thanks as well for the politicians and for the organizations working um, with it. Help us to play our part and encourage them to consider our collective impact on what we eat. So 
Mark asked me if I would say something about travel, and I was a little bit embarrassed because I fly a lot for my job, and um, I felt like I was the worst person to stand up and talk to you um, about the impact of travel on the environment. So thinking about, um, I think when we think about travel, we generally tend to think about carbon emissions and um, the amount of carbon emissions that are created by um, particularly cars and aeroplanes. So, um, but this morning we, so that is something that we should reflect on and it's something that um, talking about this has helped me to reflect on. But there's something really specific that we wanted to highlight to you this morning because it's an opportunity for us all to take one really concrete step um, and a piece of action um, this afternoon if you want to. Um, which is all around a particular part of the travel industry and the contribution that it makes to air pollution and also to water pollution around the world. Um, so I'm going to tell you, after we've seen a video, I'm going to tell you about one thing, um, one way in which in London there is a specific campaign that you might want to join. Um, so we're going to watch a video about cruise ships. In recent years, the cruise industry has been involved in several tragic incidents, the worst of these being the Costa Concordia disaster of 2012. While these events draw the ire of the general public, one of the worst offenses caused by the industry never makes the headlines. That is the massive negative impact the cruise business has on the planet's oceans. To understand the full scale and urgency of the problem, we have to look back. A century ago, ocean liners, the forebears of today's cruise ships, were the only way for the average individual to cross the ocean. After World War II, the jet age was launched. The era of the ocean liner was over. By the mid-1960s, a new idea was forming around the use of these ships. The concept was a voyage focused on recreation and sightseeing, as opposed to transportation. The era of the cruise liner had begun. Over the last quarter century, the number of annual passengers on these ships has exploded. As the numbers have grown, so have the size of the ships. So what is the effect of all this growth? The answer is a massive increase in ocean pollution. In one day at sea, the average cruise ship emits more soot than 1 million cars, and more sulfur dioxide than 13 million cars. On a week-long voyage, the average cruise ship generates 150,000 gallons of human sewage, enough to fill up 10 backyard swimming pools. So where does all the sewage end up? Well, if the ship is in international waters, it can legally dump it straight into the sea. The massive increase in concentrated nitrogen and phosphorus in the ocean can lead to algal blooms, removing oxygen from the water and suffocating fish, crustaceans, coral reefs, and other marine life. Now, take into account that in just one year, the cruise ship industry generates one billion gallons of sewage. To see how each cruise line measures up when it comes to environmental impact, check out Friends of the Earth's cruise ship report card. For more on the state of the world's oceans, visit takepart.com slash blueplanet. So you might wonder what that has to do with London. There is a new cruise ship terminal 
that is um, planned and being built in Greenwich called Enderby Wharf. Um, and there is a campaign because um, in the planning, um, there's no provision for ship-to-shore power, um, which means that when cruise ships dock, they will be using their own engines and generators. So one cruise ship uses 700 litres of diesel an hour. So for those people living close to the terminal, that's the equivalent of having 688 heavy lorries idling in your back garden. So in terms of air pollution, um, in London, there's a really concrete thing that can be done, which is to oblige the developers to upgrade the plans and to provide ship-to-shore power. There was a judicial review in 2016 which failed, um, and so now there is a petition to the Mayor of London. So planning permission was given under the last mayor, um, this mayor has made very public commitments about reducing air pollution in London and making that a high priority. So if you want to do one thing as a result of this morning, you might consider signing this petition, which you'll find if you Google um, Enderby Wharf um, and ask the mayor of London to intervene so that this cruise terminal doesn't um, pollute London's air um, in the same way that it will um, if no ship to shore power is provided. So one thing that we can do this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you, Marius, Marta, and, uh, and Danielle. Uh, Emma's now going to come and lead us in communion. Obviously, our response to what we've heard this morning on these different subjects will be different for all of us. Our situations will be different. But as we come to communion, let's use our time together in communion just to make our own personal commitment to our sustainability and our sustainable lifestyles but also let's uh, also think about other other areas that we'd like to talk about like to think about and uh, if you'd like to get involved in looking at these so that we can have some facts on which to to, to act so Emma if you'd come and like to lead us in communion As we come to our time of communion, um, it's an act of worship to remember Christ's sacrifice for us. I will read a line of prayer, the prayers of penitence, and when I pause, I invite you to say with me, Lord, have mercy. Human sin disfigures the whole creation, which groans with eager longing for God's redemption. We confess our sin in penitence and faith. We confess to you our lack of care for the world you have given us. Lord, have mercy. We confess to you our selfishness in not sharing the earth's bounty fairly. Lord, have mercy. We confess to you our failure to protect resources for others. Lord, have mercy. May the Father of all mercies cleanse you from your sins and restore you in his image to the praise and glory of his name through Jesus Christ our Lord. We praise and bless you, loving Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord, and as we obey his command, send your Holy Spirit, that broken bread and wine outpoured may be for us the body and blood of your dear Son. On the night before he died, he had supper with his friends, and taking bread, he praised you. He broke the bread, gave it to them, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper was ended, he took the cup of wine. Again, he praised you, gave it to them, and said, Drink this, all of you. 
This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So, Father, we remember all that Jesus did. In him we plead with confidence his sacrifice made once for all upon the cross. Bringing before you the bread of life and cup of salvation, we proclaim his death and resurrection until he comes in glory. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one body because we all share in one bread.